Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hello and welcome to Eastlake Church. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm actually the pastor of Westbridge Church in St. Michael, Minnesota. It's an incredibly exotic location. You'll probably want to go there on vacation at some point. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to speak uh, to you guys today uh, through video. And uh, I'm uh, a part of the board of directors for Eastlake and also great friends uh, with Brent and Kylie. They've been friends of ours for a long time. And I got to tell you, you guys have... uh, if you're a part of Eastlake in the Tri-Cities, uh, you have hit the lead pastor lottery. Uh, these guys are awesome. Uh, we've been friends with them for years. And uh, I love, love uh, when there's a friend of mine who is younger than me but has uh, more gray hair than I do. That's a friend you want to keep around for sure. Uh, and uh, man, I just love uh, the opportunity to speak to you guys today. And today I want to talk about something that uh, sometimes comes up in what we call our blind spot. Uh, we, we have these things that kind of sneak up on us, and sometimes uh, we don't even realize it. And so I want to talk to you today about this idea of emptiness, and sometimes how that sneaks up on us, and we don't even, we don't even see it coming. Uh, you know, when we think about the life that we have here in the United States of America, the truth is that um, we tend to think that the good life for us is about getting good things for ourselves, that that's what will equal fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in life. And when we think about some of those things that we think are the good things that will help us achieve the good life, uh, we tend to think of things like this. Uh, I got some boxes here to help me illustrate. We tend to think of things like money. Money would be something that would help, right? So there you go. We got some money there. Uh, And if we could just make enough money, that would help us to be happy. Or maybe we think it's things like a, a house, I could just get that house. And so we work really hard and we save all of our money and trying to do this here. Uh, nice, nice front door. Uh, this is a fancy house. So they've got a, you know, they got a fireplace. And so uh, we think, okay, if I could just get a house, that'll really make me happier. Maybe we think it's cars. And so what we do is uh, we get the best car. I'm going to try this here. There it is. And we go, oh, if I could just get the, the car that I want, that is going to be awesome. Or maybe we think it's fashion. For some of us, uh, we do our best to, uh, how, do, I don't even, how do we draw fashion here? We go uh, like this. And this guy's uh, very fashionable, got a V-neck there. And uh, you think, okay, if I could just have the latest trends and wear the latest styles and look good and feel good about myself, or maybe it's even... Uh, a degree. Maybe it's a college degree. And this is going to be, uh, this is a graduation cap here. Got the little tassel. And this person's very happy because they've graduated from college, got that degree. Or maybe it's career. If I could just get the right career. And I know exactly how to do that. Career. If I could get the right career, then 
then life is gonna stack up the way that I want it to. Or, or maybe it's even marriage. If I can just find the perfect one, right? The soulmate. And so you got two people here and they're both so happy because they're in love. They're holding hands here. And uh, that person will complete me and then life will be good. Or if I, once we have kids, once we have a, a baby, so you got uh, two people and they're so in love. And of course, they're very sleepy because now they have this little baby and uh, that's just going to complete them. That's going to make life perfect. And so everything is stacking up the way that we want it to. Everything is right there. And this is part of the problem with the good life consisting of all the good things that we get for ourselves. These are all good things. All of these are, none of these, there's nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves. But when life, when we think about the good life and the good life only consists of good things that we get for ourselves, you can see there's a bit of a balancing act that takes place. And if anything comes along and takes one of these things away, it diminishes our experience of the good life. Or if we don't get all of these things, then we can never really achieve life to the fullest to begin with. And then some of those things, you know, if you lose them, they all come crashing down. And that's, that's the problem with the good life. What if, we, what if we think about the good life and what if it's actually more than good things that we get for ourselves? What if the good life is actually something that could never be diminished, never be taken away, never topple over? What, what if you were actually created to live the fullest life outside of simply the good things that we get for ourselves. And again, nothing wrong with any of those things, but ultimately they don't bring the truest sense of fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in life. And the reason that this sneaks up on us is because we live in such an affluent era in human history. We live in the United States of America in the 21st century, and so this often sneaks up on us. We find this in our blind spot, this idea of emptiness. And what happens is we can actually achieve all this stuff. And what we don't, we don't suffer from poverty of our hands. What we suffer from is a poverty of our soul. We, we start to realize that uh, the stuff that we accumulate, the good things that we get for ourselves, don't actually satisfy. And so for, for most of us, our story is that as, as much as we accomplish and as much as we accumulate and as much as we achieve, there always seems to be something missing. And so when I, I look at my life, I'm so thankful for all that God has given. But if we're honest, in the midst of this sort of routine life, we sometimes find ourselves asking the question, is this all there is? Is this it? Do I just live this routine and try to keep it going as long as I can and then I die? I mean, I'm incredibly grateful that I get to live in the United States of America, that I own a couple of vehicles and a house, but my vehicles and my house don't fulfill me. In fact, they're the very things that often bring me frustration. Think about it. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I and our kids, uh, about three years ago, we moved to a, a new house and it was actually an older house, uh, new to us. And we loved it because uh, it had some woods in the back and that's what we were hoping for. But uh, we moved in and within three months, our furnace went out. Now, our furnace went out in the middle of February in something called the polar vortex, where we were experiencing negative 63-degree temperatures. So we're plugging in electric heaters and trying not to let the pipes freeze while we're trying to get this, uh, you know, heater fixed, and we had to put in a whole new furnace. 
the HVAC guy comes to our house, and I'll never forget this. He kind of he pulls off the panel, and he looks inside, and then he stands right back up. And he said, you know, I like to normally be in someone's house a little longer before I give them bad news. Your whole furnace is shot. I can see a crack all the way through it. The whole thing needs to be replaced. So after only being in the house for three months, we needed a whole new furnace. And then we get that fixed, and we start washing dishes by hand because uh, our dishwasher goes out. And so then we got to save up to replace our dishwasher. I know, first world problem, right? And then my car needs new tires, and then it needs new brakes. And again, I'm super thankful to have all of those things, but the reality is they don't actually bring tons of fulfillment and satisfaction. At the end of the day, they tend to be things that take my time. They tend to be things that actually uh, can be sources of frustration sometimes. And here's what I think that we would all agree with. First of all, number one, being successful doesn't equal fulfillment. Just because you uh, achieve some level of success according to the United States standards, it doesn't actually bring fulfillment. Now, now think about this. It's a little surprising because for the most part, life is good, right? There's not a lot to complain about, but it often leaves me empty and asking the question, is this as good as it gets? Is this all there is? And I'm guessing you've asked yourself that question at one point or another. You've settled down. Uh, you've got a place to call home. Maybe uh, you've got a significant other. You've got a secure job. You feel successful. You're sincerely grateful for all of that, but it still feels like something is missing. Why is that? I think it's because humans tend to create artificial finish lines. This is what we do. The reason being successful doesn't equal fulfillment is because as human beings, we tend to create artificial finish lines. Here's what I mean by that. We achieve one finish line and then we move the finish line and we keep creating artificial finish lines. This is when I'll be happy. You know, someday I'll be out of high school and then I won't have to listen to my parents anymore and follow their rules. It's going to be great. I'm going to have so much freedom. And then we get out of high school and we get into college in our young adult years and we're not finding the fulfillment that we thought we would. So we just push the finish line a little bit further. Someday I'll have a career and I'll make lots of money and I'll be really independent. And then we achieve that. And so we just push the finish line a little further. We land our dream job. But just after a couple of years, we start feeling restless again. Why is that? Why do we keep moving the finish line on happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction? You know, someday I'm going to meet someone and get married, and that will fulfill me. And then you get married, and you find out that didn't actually complete you. In fact, it brought out some stuff that was already in you that was kind of ugly. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? It brought it out of you. And then you think, well, someday we'll have kids, we'll have a family. That's what's missing. Someday my kids will move out, and then I'll be happy. And someday when I retire, I'll move somewhere warm and exotic in the South, like Tacoma. And if we're not careful, eventually uh, the finish line just becomes, you know what? Someday I'll die, and then I'll be happy. Uh, someday I'll die, and then I'll be happy. Listen, the ongoing struggle for significance and fulfillment isn't something new. In fact, this isn't an American issue. This isn't a 21st century issue. The reality is this is a human issue. A guy named King Solomon dealt with this dynamic, and he wrote about it uh, about 3,000 years ago. King Solomon was the third king of Israel and reigned during the golden era of Israel, the golden age. I mean, he had the life all of us want. He was the wealthiest man in the world. 
He was Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and Elon Musk all rolled into one. He's the most powerful person in the world. And because of his wisdom, because of his power, because of his wealth, he took the tiny nation of Israel and he turned them into a world superpower. And on top of all that, he had incredible amounts of knowledge on an endless list of topics. And yet, when reflecting on his own life, here's what he writes. We find this uh, in Ecclesiastes, which is basically a, a journal entry of an old man. And he's reflecting back on his life. And these are some of these journal entries that are uh, a part of this, these writings of Ecclesiastes. He says this, everything is wearisome beyond description. All the things he's accomplished, so much. He, he, he owned so much. He had so much wisdom, power, wealth, fame. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. He says, life is just so cyclical. Like right now it's winter, but soon it's going to be spring. And then you know what's going to happen? It's going to be summer, and then it's going to be autumn, and you know what? Then it's going to be winter again. That's it. He says, you can see how the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea is never filled up. And then the water returns to the rivers. It's just a broken record. It's all cyclical. There's nothing new. Blah, 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 blah. It's a fun guy. And here's what Solomon discovered. Living for you, living for myself, living for me always creates a void in my life. Living for me will always create a void in my life. And isn't that the truth? I mean, you don't even need a Bible verse to tell you that. Our own experience bears that out. You took a vacation to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico, and you're like, man, that was great. It was amazing. But now it's been a couple of months. And so now you're thinking about your next vacation, and where is that going to be? we got to start planning for that. You were hired for a position at a, at a new company, and it was great, and you love it, but now you want a promotion. The finish line keeps moving. You found the guy or girl of your dreams, and you got married, and you thought that would bring you incredible significance, but now you kind of feel lost. Or there's tension there, and you're not sure how to resolve it. And you don't feel satisfied. You feel restless. And the common denominator in all of that is you. Think about that. You thought that school just wasn't the right fit or the job just wasn't the right fit, but now you're realizing, no, it's not that uh, I hate my job or that I hate my school. I hate my life. It's worse than you thought. The question Solomon is dealing with is the question all of us deal with at some point in our lives. How do I deal with the ongoing restlessness inside of me? How do I address the lack of purpose, the lack of significance? How do I fill the void that seems to be in my heart? And for Solomon, he decided he was gonna do everything imaginable to bring satisfaction into his life. And when we read this, we think, who would do that? We do that. Today, in the United States, in the 21st century, we live this same way. Listen to what he decided to do. This is what he concluded. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Sound familiar? Uh, let's go for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. 
In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Uh, this is absolutely brilliant. You, you begin to see how completely relevant the scriptures are to our lives today, because we can all relate to it. He says, life is short. I'm going to do whatever I can to make the most of it while I'm here. So if it's a third, fourth, fifth glass of wine, I'm going to do it. If it's shop till I drop and getting packages from Amazon every day, I'm going to do it. If it's hurting someone to get ahead, I have to climb over them to get ahead in life, then I'm just going to do it. If it's living one vacation to the next, if it's just living one weekend to the next and making them, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And the amazing thing is that Solomon actually had the resources to do whatever he wanted, and he still came up empty. Now, maybe you've experienced that as well. And the reason we do is because we keep moving the finish line. It just keeps moving, and we get caught in this cycle of accumulation. Now, here's what that looks like. Uh, when my wife and I were first married, uh, we got married pretty young. We were both 19 years old. Uh, we met when we were 16, and, uh, and uh, by the time we were 19, uh, we said, all right, you're the one. And so we decided to get married, and I'm not saying everybody who's 19 and in love should get married. So if you're walking away from this and you're like, what'd you get from that message? Oh, well, we're 19 and we should get married. That's not the point. But we were young, and we didn't have a lot of money. So we were renting a 600-square-foot apartment uh, in Chicago. We were paying off some school bills and, um, man, just doing it, living life. And hoping that our car would make it from one location to the next location every time that we got in and started it up. And so this is kind of life for us. And in that stage of life, we did what most people do in that stage of life. We ate a lot of ramen noodle soup. Uh, we begged, borrow, and, you know, anything that we could. Uh, we'd see somebody in our apartment complex, you know, they're throwing out a purple chair. We're like, are you getting rid of that purple chair? We'll take that purple chair off your hands. We'd see somebody, uh, you know, putting a refrigerator out to take it to the dump. We're like, does that thing kind of work a little bit? Hey, we'll take that off your hands. Anything we could, we would kind of beg, borrow, and steal just to furnish our apartment. And uh, I'll never forget our very first uh, TV came off of a, um, a pallet uh, from Target. We had a friend who worked at Target, and they said, you know, uh, there's a pallet that got damaged, and they're getting rid of some stuff, and I think you could get a steal of a deal. And so our very first TV was this absolutely, like, incredible 19-inch color TV with a built-in VCR. We scored that sucker for like 40 bucks off of a damaged pallet at Target. I mean, this was life as young people. But here's what happens. After a few years, things start to stabilize. After a few years, we started to save a little bit. You start to get out of survival mode a little bit. And that's when we enter the cycle of accumulation. And here's what that looks like. It starts with more. Okay, I just want to get a little bit more. And there's nothing wrong with this. We wanted to, you know, get out of our apartment. We wanted to get into a house of our own. Uh, we thought we were living the good life. We could actually afford a bag of Cheetos every once in a while. Uh, we upgraded one of our cars to an SUV after we had our first kid. We, we built our first home. And many of you have experienced this, right? The cupboards start to get a little more full. Uh, the, the bank account starts to get a little bit more full. The closets start to get a little bit more full. And then you get to the point where you don't need more. The next step of the cycle of accumulation isn't about more. The next step is this. Now I want better. We've moved from more to I want better. I have plenty of jeans. Now I want designer jeans. I need better jeans. I have a house to live in, but now I want a custom house. Uh, you know, I've got a job, but now I want a better job. We go on vacation every year, but now I want to go on a better vacation. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with any of that. 
Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you think that any of those things are actually going to bring you satisfaction, fulfillment, happiness, it just doesn't pay off in the end. And what happens is you actually create a void as you do everything you can to serve you. It doesn't fill you up. But after you've accumulated more and after you've accumulated better, now here's what you go after. You want to go after different. It moves from, okay, we don't have much to more to better to different. And this is what this is. We start looking at things that are rare and unique. Uh, we, we want that experience or that object that other people don't get. Signed first edition copies of the book to put in my library. Or, uh, you know, vacations to exotic locations, Brazilian walnut for the cabinets, you know, uh, mugs from the original Starbucks that can only be purchased in Seattle. And so Solomon says, hey, I I tried more. I tried to accumulate more than anyone else. I tried better than anyone anyone else. I tried different. None of it satisfied. And so he continues to make these journal entries about his life as he reflects on his life and Here's what he writes about his experiment. He says, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water, to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Think about that. I had everything a man could desire, he says. But when you read Solomon's list of everything he tried to bring what he calls the only happiness you can find during their brief life, you discover his list is huge. It's a huge list. He binge-watched all of the comedians on Netflix for laughter. Uh, He tried alcohol. He tried to alter his state of mind. Incredible amounts of real estate with massive uh, palaces and, and private gardens. A personal staff to attend all of his needs. He had so much wealth that history tells us that he actually devalued silver during his reign because he had so much of it. He had on demand access to live performances from U2 and Taylor Swift and Beyonce. Uh, he, he could have sex anytime he wanted to. He denied himself no pleasure, right? Uh, uh, basically, uh, a thousand wives and mistresses. Unbelievable. In fact, if you've ever seen a documentary on the lifestyle of Snoop Dogg, this is basically it. He's, he's living what he thinks is his best life. And so here, here's what he writes. He, he, part of his conclusion is this. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I could have more. I could have better. I could have different. I mean, I could have houses. I could, I could have wealth. I could have fame. I could have power. All of it. He says, I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. What a sad commentary on his own life. I had it all. I had everything I ever wanted, anything I could have ever imagined. I I had all of the good things that this life tells us. You need these good things to have a good life. And none of it brought me satisfaction, 
significance, happiness, purpose that I long for. And part of, part of our temptation would be to say this, okay, give me that same amount of money, wealth, fame, power, and I'll, I'll give it a shot. Uh, let's see if I can find uh, some happiness and fulfillment. But if we're honest, we actually have a lot of the same things. Uh, some of us are stuck in that exact same place because you could make more money. And you could have the best marriage and have the best family and have the best job and have the best house and drive amazing cars and you still feel empty. It sneaks up on you. It's because fulfillment has nothing to do with where you live, with who you're married to, and what you do for a living, what you drive or how much money you make. You could talk to Jim Morrison or Jimi Hendrix, Elvis Presley, Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, and Amy Winehouse, and they will all tell you money, power, fame, success. None of these things will fill the void in your life. No amount of material possessions. And the worst part is that you actually spend your entire life chasing all the good things to achieve the good life, and you actually achieve all of them only to recognize then that they don't satisfy. Only to recognize then how badly they fall short. Henry David Thoreau said it best when he said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. So what's the answer? Uh, like, what's the antidote? The message just can't be, okay, life sucks and then you die. But what, what is it about this life? There has to be more to life, and I believe that there is. But to discover that, you're gonna have to uh, do something that you maybe have never considered. See, here, here's the antidote for emptiness. The antidote is find a mission that's bigger than you. Find a mission that's bigger than you. Now, th that might sound overly simplistic, and I don't mean for it to be oversimplistic, but here's the reality. As long as you and your life is all about you, you won't be and can't be happy. You just can't. It's not that you won't be, you can't be because you are not enough to fulfill you. You will always need more than you have to offer. And here's the reality. Every person is working toward a kingdom, whether you realize it or not. Every single one of us is working toward a kingdom. You can either build the kingdom of God or you can work to build the kingdom of me. And the kingdom of me is a default setting. It's why you've never had to teach your kids how to say no or mine. Because early on, even at two years old, here's what they knew intuitively. I've got a kingdom and my kingdom needs protecting. And so we build our kingdom. I have a kingdom. My kingdom is where my will gets done. And so I, I'm the kingdom of my household. And then our neighborhood is a kingdom. It's made up of a bunch of little kingdoms, and then it's one kingdom. And then our city is a kingdom made up of different neighborhoods. And, and then different cities make different states and nations, which are ultimately kingdoms. And all of those kingdoms work hard to build themselves. And then Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I, I want you to consider something that will actually bring fulfillment. I want you to consider the purpose for which you were actually designed and created and put on this planet. It might not be to build your kingdom. It, it might be to actually participate in a kingdom, in a mission that is bigger than you. And I would argue that the kingdom of me is the default setting for most of us. It's typically what shows up in my life, but the problem with the kingdom of me is all it does is produce more me. Contrast that 
with what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God produces all those things that you truly long for, the things that bring true, eternal, lasting significance and fulfillment. Well, why doesn't it satisfy when you look to your money or your career or your marriage or kids or anything else to bring satisfaction to your life? Because you're looking to something that wasn't designed to bring fulfillment or satisfaction in the first place. Your identity, your security is to be found in who God created you to be, not in anything else. Your purpose in this life is not a child task. It's not a spouse task or a career task or a money task. You were created in the image of God and only aligning your life with the kingdom of God will actually fill the void in your life. And that doesn't just mean a a mental assent to, okay, I believe God that you're real. It means aligning my life, aligning my actions and my priorities and my daily decisions around the, the way of living called the kingdom of God. It's the reason you were created. It's the reason you were put on this planet. Because here's the reality. There is no end to the sad discontent of making you the mission of your life. Contrast Solomon's experiment with the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Seek the kingdom of God. This way of living, this way of interacting, this way of loving others, this way of giving of yourself to something bigger than yourself. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Make it your first priority and live righteously. Righteously is just a a Bible term that means right way of living, doing things the right way for the right reasons, aligned with the purpose for which I was created. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The the, The stuff that you think is the good things to live the good life, God knows what you need. He wants to give you those things, but it comes as a as a byproduct of putting first God's kingdom creating priorities in your life that align your life around who God created you to be. Because here's the reality. Jesus didn't just come to save us from something. That's great. That's called forgiveness. But Jesus actually came to save us for something. His message wasn't just that you can be forgiven. It's also that he wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. But to experience that, you have to enter into it and participate in the building of God's kingdom. Because if you stop at forgiveness... You say, God, thanks for the forgiveness. That's what you've done for me. And you don't ever participate in God's kingdom. Eventually, it just all becomes about you. In fact, if you're trying to figure out if Eastlake is the church that's gonna meet all your needs, let me just spare you the time and effort. It won't. It won't. When you say, well, man, this must be all of the good people of the Tri-Cities area here. Nope. Let me tell you, that ain't it. This ain't the perfect church. And if you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. Keep looking. And if you find it, don't go there. You'll screw it up. That's just the reality. When you say things like, man, I didn't like that talk, or I wish it was deeper, or the music was too loud, let me just tell you, it's worse than you think. But participating with God's kingdom is about dying to the kingdom of me, where I evaluate everything through the lens of how does this meet my needs? And I can build the kingdom of God. It goes beyond the mindset of how does this meet my needs and instead starts to ask the question, is this a mission that is bigger than me? Is this a mission I can give my life to, participate in? And you want to fill the emptiness and the void in your life? You want your life to count for something? That's the antidote. And here's why. This is so important. The only thing more terrifying than dying to yourself is living for yourself. 
The only thing more terrifying than dying to myself, saying, okay, those things are good things, but they won't fulfill me. The good things that this life has to offer won't fulfill me, so instead I'm gonna pursue God's kingdom. I'm gonna die to myself to come alive to what God's doing. The only thing more terrifying than dying to yourself is living for yourself. Because when you live for yourself, you become a tyrant who is never satisfied. So you can either die to yourself and experience fulfillment, or you can enter into that as you enter into that purpose for which you were created. Or you can live for yourself, and you can chase and chase and chase and chase and chase. And ultimately, like Solomon, you will discover life without purpose is meaningless. And so here's how Jesus said it. He said it best when he said this. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What do you benefit if you get all the boxes and they're all stacked up and you have this whole balancing act all through life but you never actually experience the life that is truly life? What does that benefit you? And all of us would agree, we don't want to get to the end of our lives and have all of the boxes neatly stacked and look back at our life. And the story of our life is that we spent our lives balancing all the good things we could get for ourselves, but we never truly experienced the life that is truly life. And Solomon would tell you, it didn't work out very well for me. Solomon, you've gained the whole world, but, but we read your journal entries and your soul is empty. Life is meaningless. There's a massive void in your life. That experiment of filling your life with everything imaginable, how did that turn out? And Jesus says, if you try to hang on to it, you'll lose it. Life will be empty and void. But if you give that up, if you rearrange your priorities, your life, your actions around this thing called the kingdom of God and live that way, then participate in a mission that is bigger than yourself. You will find there's something in that, the life that is truly life. It is the reason you and I were created. It's the reason we were put on this planet to exist in loving community with God and one another. And so no matter how many things we try to stuff in there and cram and build the boxes and get good things for ourselves, ultimately, it's why you were created. And yet every one of us, it's something broken in our world, something broken in us that says, I'm gonna live life my own way. God, thanks, but no thanks. I've got this. I'm gonna continue to pursue my own things. And it causes brokenness between us and God and oftentimes brokenness between us and one another. And again, you, you don't even need a Bible verse to tell you that. You recognize the brokenness in our world, maybe even the brokenness in ourselves. So God, in his love for us, at the right time in human history, he sent Jesus into the world to show us how to live, to show us how to love, to restore community, relationship with God and with one another. And so in the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means that death is not the end. There is more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. So I wanna encourage you. If you've never said yes to that invitation, it starts with God extending his forgiveness to us. And then he invites us to participate in a life that goes beyond this life. If you've never said yes to that, I wanna encourage you to do that, whether you're here in the room or watching online, just agree in your heart with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I'm so thankful you never walk away from me. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me to put my trust in your way of living life, 
to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who are doing our best to follow you each and every day. May we not give in to the temptation to just chase and chase and chase and accumulate and achieve more, better, different. Instead, may we align our lives around the purpose for which we were created, seeking first your kingdom, your way of living, and trusting you to continue to fill us with the life that is truly life. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.